Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Bhuvaneshwari, neurologist from Kaveri Hospital. And we, today we have two of my esteemed colleagues with me. Dr. Shivarajan is the stroke and vascular specialist. Dr. Prithika Chari, senior neurologist and neurosurgeon. And today the three of us want to talk to you about what is Purple Day, why are we celebrating Purple Day, and what is the significance of Purple Day in uh, the whole aspect of epilepsy treatment and awareness. Now, epilepsy is defined as a neurogenic problem. It's, so it's a brain dysfunction where certain neurons are generating electrical impulses which cause abnormal movement or sensation that the patient will report to you. Now, normally you want this finger to go up, your brain has thought about it, but if the same area of the brain is discharging on its own, then I'm going to have an involuntary movement. This is the basis of epilepsy. Now, epilepsy is defined when a person gets more than two seizures 24 hours apart. So till then, we do not call it epilepsy. It's a seizure, of course, but epilepsy is labeled only when a person has had two, more, two or more seizures. Now, looking at how epilepsy is classified across the world, the ILAE, that is the International League Against Epilepsy, is an international body which guides us in the diagnosis and treatment of patients with epilepsy. And they say that when it comes to classification, we now have two major classifications. We call it either generalized epilepsy or focal epilepsy. So generalized epilepsy is basically when the entire brain is affected, you get generalized epilepsy. It can be jerking, stiffening of the body, just jerks or even in children absences. Focal seizures are basically seizures arising from one part of the brain. So your brain has got four lobes, the frontal lobe, the temporal lobe, parietal and occipital. So based on which area the seizures are originating, the patients are going to have manifestations. Um, I would like to proceed with what causes epilepsy and I'm going to ask Dr. Shivarajan to please throw some light on what causes epilepsy and what can we do in terms of treatment. So thanks Dr. Goneshwari. Um, so you nicely took us through the ILA definition of uh, how we uh, can diagnose somebody with epilepsy and as she said if it is a single episode uh, and if it is uh, uh, provoked uh, by a, a reason like a low sugar or uh, low oxygen or it could be a metabolic reason then we don't normally uh, label you as epilepsy it has to be uh, unprovoked yes. and two episodes which are 24 hours apart or if it is a provoked with a propensity to happen again due to a syndromic reason because of genetic or other metabolic reason that happens in the brain, then we can let, uh, confidently diagnose somebody with epilepsy. Because having a diagnosed epilepsy has a lot of implications which uh, our mentor and uh, our guru doctor Pritika Chari is going to elaborate on. Um, so how do we, uh, you nicely mentioned about the classification which is uh, generalized focal and uh, the third one is unknown uh, yes. and so on. So what causes epilepsy? Uh, if you ask, uh, epilepsy uh, until now has been sort of mostly said as a disorder, but recently with ILE it has been um, 
for ease of legal reasons as well as for long-term treatment reasons been labeled as a disease. And if you look at the causes, there are different ways of looking at it, whether where the epilepsy starts, whether it is in the infancy, immediately after birth, or whether it is in the childhood or in the adult stage or in the later stages in elderly. So at different ages, there are different reasons for someone to have epilepsy. Mostly in the first year of life or immediately after birth, it is often due to injury around birth, or it can be due to genetic reasons or metabolic changes in the person because of autosomal dominant, autosomal recessive reasons and so on. In the infancy, again, we have a lot of syndromic genetic reasons, causes for epilepsy. As we get into adulthood, the genetic reasons come down, but a lot of other reasons due to structural changes can take a major role. In elderly, it is predominantly due to ischemic changes in the brain due to lifestyle conditions like sugar, hypertension, high cholesterol, and so on. Um, apart from, I mean, there are multiple ways of defining the causes. There are some are cause reflex epilepsy because some patients may have epilepsy because of a particular stimuli. Some patients may have it because of uh, changes in the um, metabolic milieu in the brain, like uh, uh, low sugar due to genetic reasons. Uh, in, even in adulthood, there are a lot of mitochondrial disorders that can provoke seizures, migraines, and strokes, and so on. So if we break it down according to age, we can be uh, sure about what type of uh, epilepsy it is going to be, what it may be the reason. And depending upon the type of epilepsy, we can be very sure how good your success in treatment is going to be. Most of the genetic epilepsies are going to go on for longer duration. And uh, we do have uh, recent ILE definition saying if you have to be classified as free of epilepsy, you have to be free of seizures for at least 10 years and without medicines for at least five years. And um, so there are a lot of things to uh, mention around the causes, but broadly speaking, this is how we classify that. Uh, but in many of our patients, we will have a very normal brain scan, uh, normal looking EEG, and still you will have the seizures and epilepsy um, going on despite taking the right medicines. So, uh, majority of the time we will not be able to give you the right reasons. Yes, this is the reason why you have epilepsy. And even in the Western world, the genetic testing is not very robust. Maybe in research centers, uh, there is a possibility of uh, finding the gene. And maybe it is not one gene that can cause epilepsy. It may be uh, uh, small, small bits of different gene varieties that can add, add up, which increases your epilepsy risk. So we don't routinely do genetic testing uh, in the early part of our uh, sort of patient group. But um, if it is very intractable and if it is very hard to uh, sort of classify, yes, we may take on some genetic testing. And uh, as you rightly pointed out, I think when somebody presents with first-time seizure, our goal is to find out what is this person's risk of having another seizure. Is it a provoked seizure or an unprovoked seizure? Make sure there is no provocation like low sugar, low sodium, or other metabolic issues or a structural problem which is causing the seizure. And then once we know it's unprovoked, they're having more than one seizure, we call them epilepsy. And depending on the age of presentation and also the, the response they have with treatment, we then uh, call them simple epilepsies or epileptic syndromes based on other uh, issues which certain patients can have like developmental issues in early childhood with severe refractory seizures. 
Now, when it comes to treatment, I think I'm going to ask both of you. Uh, we have come a long way uh, in terms of treatment. So I want to talk to both of you about what is the mainstay of treatment? How do we take uh, go about it? And if in case we are dealing with a refractory seizure patient, what do we do? What are the options we have apart from medical management? Can I start with you and yes. then go to Dr. Kritika? So, um, through the years, we have uh, had um, multiple uh, anti-epileptic drugs right from the time of uh, phenobarbitate and then uh, we have uh, had uh, phenytoin which are very good drugs and gradually we have uh, a very good armamentarium of uh, anti-epileptic medicines. Uh, but uh, despite having so many medicines, uh, if you look at uh, worldwide statistics, uh, nearly one third of patients will still go on to have seizures despite being on uh, the maximal doses. But off late, we have had uh, quite a few newer drugs, which uh, we will discuss uh, in detail. So as we mentioned earlier, um, if it is a, a treatable uh, lesion in the brain, like the tumor coloma, or if it is a neurocystic sarcosis, like a secondary cause of epilepsy, then uh, if we can take out the uh, cause, then the seizure control is going to be excellent. But if uh, in most of our patients that we treat, they don't have a secondary reason for epilepsy. In those patients, we try anti-epileptic medicines, and depending upon the syndromes, uh, if it is a, depending upon the seizure type, we choose the drugs. If it is uh, infantile spasm, or if they have uh, conditions like uh, Lenox-Genox syndrome, or if they have uh, myoclonic epilepsy, or partial seizures, uh, focal onset seizures, or generalized seizures, there are certain drugs act best in certain uh, scenarios. For example, for focal epilepsy, we tend to choose carbamisprin as a first-line drug. For generalized seizures, we go on for broad-spectrum drugs like sodium alprate or levetiracetam. And recently, uh, there is a new drug called brevetiracetam. And we have other drugs that are in the pipeline called felbamate. And paramphenyl is a very good drug that works well with uh, refractory seizures. Um, so usually, we start low and uh, start and steadily go up on the dose and uh, reach maximum dose, and then we add another drug. Uh, but majority of the time, if somebody has uh, exhibited refractoriness in the, after first-line therapy, the chances of getting control with subsequent add-on drugs is uh, not very uh, good. But we can get further control. But hopefully, with the newer drugs, um, the control might be um, much more uh, appreciable. I think uh, your experience in the newer drugs. No, I, uh, as an epileptologist, what I usually uh, you know, advocate is that what all of us know that drug treatment is the first choice and when we start with drugs there are only 60 to 70 percent of patients who actually get better with drug treatment but that does not mean that we do not try drugs and with the newer anticonvulsants we have got better side effect profiles and almost equal efficacy as the older drugs. But in some instances, still, the older drugs have a place. The reason why I'm mentioning this is that when patients are treated by a primary physician for their epilepsy, and they are given the older drugs, they sometimes think something wrong is being done. But the older drugs are very, very efficacious. And if there are no limiting side effects, they are excellent because they are also more economical, especially when you have to take the drug for three to five years 
as a minimum thing. The other thing which influences our drug choice is the age of the patient, as Dr. Sivarajan already mentioned, the sex of the patient. Because there are some drugs which are contraindicated in women, or especially if they are of childbearing age. Like sodium valproate is a drug which is contraindicated in a woman of childbearing age. And we do have, fortunately, newer drugs like levetiracetam and lamotrigin, which are able to be tolerated by these women without any harm even during pregnancy. And that is a huge step forwards in the drug treatment of epilepsy compared to earlier. And having said that, the other thing which determines the choice is the classification, as Dr. Bhuvneshwari mentioned, classifying the seizure. But what happens to that 30% of patients who don't get better with drugs? So there is a very, very fundamental rule which is not exactly accurate, but it works. That if a person has had more than two seizures a month for more than two years and is on more than two drugs, it's better that these people are evaluated as a difficult-to-treat epilepsy or a possible drug-resistant epilepsy. Because some of them may be suitable for a surgical treatment of epilepsy. A lot of people don't know that surgery can be one of the treatment options for epilepsy. The other options that we have is there is a dietary treatment called the ketogenic diet, which will help reduction in seizures in patients who are taking multiple drugs and who are still not settling down. You can achieve even up to a 50% reduction by adding the dietary treatment to the drug regime. In epilepsy surgery, there is an extensive test which are done and we have to do a detailed pre-surgical evaluation which involves little more complicated and expensive evaluations like a video EEG where an EEG is taken the same time as we capture a live seizure. It's time synchronized and so it tells us what's happening in the brain at that particular time. Then we do certain special studies of MRI, we do functional studies called SPECT, PET. And with all this, if we localize the lesion to having its origin in one part of the brain, what we call as the epileptogenic zone or the epileptogenic uh, territory or a network, and that part of the brain, when it is removed, it can lead to reduction or cessation of seizures. So if a patient who is drug resistant and is getting 8 to 10 bits a month and is going on for many years, it's the next best thing to cure. Because by adding more drugs, we don't actually attain more control in many patients. And now one third of these patients may, of this 30% may be suitable for surgery. One third will have to continue drugs lifelong and they can be kept seizure free on multiple drugs. Another one third, no matter what you do, because there's usually accompanying brain damage of other, which causes other symptoms like in a cerebral palsy, developmentally delayed, mental retardation, cognitive issues, comorbidities, psychiatric manifestation, etc. That group, they will keep suffering all their lives and we will keep working with them, but we can only do that much. So 70% get better with initial drug treatment, 10% are may be available for surgery, 10% continue medication, one or more medications and remain seizure-free, lifelong, and the remaining 10%, no matter what you do, there isn't much we can offer. 
I think you're right about that because see, I, what the the philosophy that I follow or I'm sure many doctors do is, we all start with one drug. Yeah. Monotherapy is the best to start off with. I think many a times when physicians are starting treatment for a first time uh, seizure patient, you would see them go on two drugs, smaller doses, smaller, the lower doses than recommended for the patient's age and body weight. I think what is important is choose the right type of drug based on, like Dr. Vitika was saying, the age, the uh, type of seizure, uh, the gender of the patient, choose the right drug, go with a good dose based on the body weight of the patient and start with a single therapy and work your way up as the patient depending on the response of the patient. And also, if it's a child, you may have to increase the uh, dosage of the medicine as the child is growing up because the body weight and the height is getting I mean, bigger. Then if the patient is still having seizures with the first drug, high dose, that is the maximum dose, then a second drug is added. So that way, you are able to understand where we are in terms of the response to treatment better. Secondly, when a patient starts showing resistance to multiple drugs, then you know you're not dealing with an easy epilepsy or a simple epilepsy. You're actually dealing with a difficult to treat or a drug resistant epilepsy. Child or younger patients, please think about genetic uh, basis for these patients. Because many a times, we, unless we think about that, we will not explore. So I think the minute we know that this patient is needing more medical tria, you know, medicines, uh, yet having seizures, not responding very well, we look at two things. Is there a genetic basis? Are we dealing with some kind of syndromic diagnosis? And the third, of course, is a structural issue which can be sorted with a good surgical evaluation and the right uh, patient selection for surgical treatment. I think that is very, very important and it goes step by step and involve the patients and the family at every step, explain to them. It becomes easier when the patient is aware of what is happening, why they are, why the drugs are being increased, uh, why they are being called difficult to treat epilepsy. So that patient awareness and understanding of the problem is essential when we take this treatment forward with the patient. Am I right in saying Another point I'd like to emphasize is don't wait too long to refer for a pre-surgical evaluation. It doesn't mean that they're going to undergo a surgery right away. It is an evaluation to see if they may be suitable for surgery. Because when we do surgery in a patient with just a shorter duration of seizures, like two years, three years, the results are much better. When we do the surgery after a 10-year history or a 20-year history of seizures, the amount of benefit that we get from the surgery is proportionately less. But having said that, we've had some patients who from age of 13 to 34 have had seizures and who are seizure-free, drug-free and are doing extremely well. So each patient is very, very individual. And please understand, don't say my neighbor is taking this, my, uh, somebody I know is taking that because what suits them may not suit you. And some people tend to just take a drug because they saw someone else take a drug. 
So please make sure that you are always doing it under medical advice and medical supervision. And I want to emphasize that for early seizures, first seizures, the primary physician is the best person for you to go and see. Because if they cannot control the seizures in about six months, they usually refer to the neurologist. So they can easily help you. So please don't hesitate because you didn't get an appointment with the neurologist to see the primary physician as the initial step. Again, compliance is also uh, very, yeah, very, very important. important. Often uh, the first prescription says take it for two weeks or a month and then come back. But a lot of patients misunderstand that this is only for a month and then they stop it and then a few days later they end up with a seizure. So it's a long-term treatment and it goes on for years. It doesn't stop in a month or week. So The opposite also happens. Some people write there for one year. So they take it for one year and discontinue and don't come in between for follow-up. So whenever the doctor has a follow-up, he or she is anticipating possible complication or a possible side effect of the medication. So please make sure, because many of these medications have hepatic side effects, renal side effects, etc. And we as doctors, we anticipate and monitor it. So if you are asked to come back in six months, don't think it's, anyway they said I have to take the drug for three to five years, so why should I go back in six months? So please make sure that you keep the follow-ups because you can have a, a smooth ride through the period when you have to take the treatment. Um, today is March 26th, uh, Purple Day, and we all know epilepsy has been there for a very, very long time. Um, as far as mankind has been there, epilepsy has been there. Uh, there is a lot of stigma associated with this condition. Um, initially, people thought the patients were being possessed by demons. Priests would come and try to, uh, you know, drive away the demons. Now, sadly, those uh, beliefs are still there and as doctors, sometimes we are having to educate the patient so much more that we need to make them understand it's a disease and not some kind of unnatural event. So I just want you to uh, talk to us about why Purple Day, what is the significance of today? In 2008, there was a little girl called Cassie Morgan. She lives in Canada. She has epilepsy and in her school, she found that uh, when some, she had a seizure, that nobody was really knowledgeable, including her teacher, about epilepsy. So she initiated, which is very uh, smart of her, though she's a little girl, she must have been about 10 or 12 years old. She initiated a movement called Burberry Day, where she, she said that as many people as possible should start talking about epilepsy. That was the basis behind Purple Day. So Purple Day actually is a time to get people talking about epilepsy, to raise awareness of the condition among everybody. And also, in some instances, if you are trying to do some special work for epilepsy, to be able to raise funds in order to support that work. Now the theme for 2021 is homeschooled. I'll talk about that in, a, in the next, uh, uh, later on. Why I feel that actually being homeschooled is a boon for children with epilepsy. And I read this interesting acronym for purple. P, people everywhere 
are understanding the reality for people living with epilepsy. So I thought that was very nice. And also there were some quotations. We don't know how strong we are until being strong is the only choice we have. And that is what happens to many people with epilepsy. And another problem which they face, why the stigma, the discrimination, the poor self-confidence, poor self-esteem, etc., is because it's a hidden disability. Now, if somebody can't, has a limb disability, you can see it. Epilepsy, you can't see somebody's face and say that they have epilepsy. In, at least not in many of the epilepsies. Maybe if there is associated comorbidities, they may have other brain disorders and you can say that they have a disability. So, these people are living with this fear in their souls. Anytime I can get a seizure, it can happen anywhere, it can be embarrassing. There are people who don't know about it, who don't understand. So in Purple Day, when we spread awareness, we are not only telling you what exactly epilepsy is and what that it's a brain disorder, it is not some possession by a devil or a demon or anything, and that there are things that you as a person observing somebody have a seizure can also do to help. So if you see somebody do, having a seizure, first thing, lay them down on the ground because they cannot fall from the ground. Put something soft under their head because when they are jerking, they can hurt their head. There is no need to hold down the person with the jerking limbs. Remove anything sharp which they may be having in their hands so they don't hurt themselves. Loosen clothing, avoid overcrowding and don't panic. Because most seizures will settle down one and a half, two minutes. When do you have to call a doctor if you see somebody having a seizure or call an ambulance or whatever 108 or whatever emergency service? If the seizure keeps repeating without stopping continuously, one after the other, one after the other, that is a serious thing. Or if the seizure is very prolonged, going on for five minutes, ten minutes and the person is getting pain or they are getting blue in the face, that means this is a serious seizure. So you need to help them by calling for medical assistance. Never, never give anything orally to a person who is having a seizure. Even after the seizure is over, you have to be able to have a sensible conversation with me. They must be alert enough and awake enough before you give them anything to eat or drink. So these are very simple things and if more people know this, more people with epilepsy need not be so afraid of having a seizure somewhere where they may not get any help. So that is something I'd like to emphasize. The recent February, second Monday of February is celebrated as International Epilepsy Day and the theme for this year was epilepsy is more than seizures. So the seizure by itself can be controlled with medication or when they see whatever help we as doctors give. But there is much more impact that epilepsy has more than the seizure per se. And those things are, the first and foremost, there is a treatment gap which all countries in the world, especially developing nations like Africa, etc., are trying to bridge. What this means is, people know they have a seizure, but they are afraid to go to the doctor. They instead go to a witch doctor or a shaman or something. Or they don't have access to treatment. They may be in a village and they may have to go 20 miles or more or travel overnight in order to reach a doctor. So what we also try to do as doctors is try to minimize that and that the way to minimize it 
is only by patient education. You have to identify your closest help. In Chennai and in Tamil Nadu, in India, we are very lucky to have the primary health centers, which serve an excellent role. That is why I said a physician, a primary physician can help you. You don't have to hesitate and wait to see a neurologist, which may take much more time. Then, of course, the drugs can cause drowsiness, can cause memory loss. There can be risk of injury when you have a seizure. Your confidence levels can be very low. Your self-esteem can be very low. There's a lot of prejudice. People assume that if you have epilepsy, you can't do this, you can't do that. There's a lot of discrimination, especially at work. People with epilepsy find it difficult to get an education, to get an employment. So we doctors constantly try to educate teachers and employers on the slight adjustments they need to make if they have an employee with epilepsy. So many of them are unemployed because of this. Of course, the loss of the driving license and the inability to drive, it's a temporary setback and some people find it very, very difficult. Last but not least is the social isolation. I want to spend a little time on this because the social isolation is more self-imposed than created by society. Many patients assume because they have epilepsy, somebody, others may not even know you have epilepsy unless you tell them. So they just automatically don't make friendships, don't go out to parties, don't do a lot of things. They are afraid of getting into a relationship, they are afraid of marriage, they are afraid of child, having a child if they are already married. So you have to come out. And Purple Day is one of the days where you have to get up and talk. So don't be ashamed of your story because your story will inspire other people. And that's why I said homeschooling is a boon because for children who are unable to get into schools because of the limitation of their epilepsy, homeschooling is a boon. But too much technology can trigger seizures. And there are certain lifestyle issues like sleep deprivation which can trigger seizures. We need to balance all this together with the proper treatment and proper follow-up with a medical professional. The two things, uh, patients with epilepsy. So you have the two spectrums. You have the children and you have the older people who can have epilepsy. That is an adult onset or a late onset seizures. Now, what I find is sometimes when children get their seizures, we have parents who are extremely overprotective. In fact, to such an extent that they restrict the activities of the children. Of course, you have to be careful, not letting them swim on their own or, you know, asking them to the stairs, the, yeah, stairs and cycling on and things like that. But extremely protective and, uh, uh, you know, scared parents. And, of, and the other end of the spectrum, uh, older people, where again, there are a lot of other comorbidities and they're having seizures. Now, how do you deal as a, as a doctor with these two groups of patients? So, um, most, I mean, recently we, uh, I had at least a couple of children uh, who had uh, new onset seizures and incidentally they've been doing a lot of uh, activities based from home and a lot of uh, online classes and they go on for many, many hours. Um, and after cutting down the number of screen time, uh, we have had 
seizure freedom and without starting medicine. So, as uh, you mentioned, it's a boon, but at the same time, it also has a small risk of uh, triggering. Uh, the homeschooling is that way a uh, little different because we involve the parent as the teacher. Also. So, maybe so much online time may not be. So, the actually the pandemic has given us a way out on how to solve the problem of children with epilepsy who cannot go to schools. Because we've got a hybrid and alternative way of doing it. So how I try and uh, encourage them is um, try and, ex uh, I've had two family members who have got epilepsy and I explained to them, uh, uh, my cousin is a second year uh, medicine student. I've got an elder brother who's got seizures and he's doing an excellent business and so on. So uh, I give real life examples and we've got a lot of famous personalities like John T. Rhodes, the famous cricketer, he has epilepsy. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte has got epilepsy. A lot of people. So when we discuss that, they usually sort of, uh, uh, sort of try and take it on. But that, yes, there are a lot of uh, parents who are very, very, very apprehensive and they don't want all of their kids to be as free as uh, they can no, be. No, the lack of self-esteem and the self-confidence which I mentioned is actually due to overprotection because the child is not allowed to be independent. You have to encourage independence in the child. In fact, I have a, a friend of mine, her son has epilepsy. He's 22 years old and uh, he lives in a place where, you know, there is just a very small road nearby. There's a college compound where he and his friends go and just sit in the evening and chat. So by the time he goes from the home to that place with four friends who know about his epilepsy and who will take care of him, she'll send the driver behind him. And to a 22-year-old, that's very, very restricting and very offensive. So there used to be a lot of friction in the family because of her overprotection. We had to tell her, look, let it be, nothing will happen to him. So parents have to really know where to you know, what the boundary is. They have to set the right amount of boundaries. But we're not asking you to take risks with the child. We also have some parents who just uh, stop fighting. They just say, let anything happen kind of thing and they get into a lot of trouble. So we've had youngsters, teenagers who take a bike and go out and have an accident and things like that. Say, that I can't argue with the teenager. He's so it's a balance, isn't it? It's just a right balance that you strike. But as you rightly said, I think examples yeah. uh, will give them a lot of confidence. And what about older patients? Yeah, and they can also be a little stubborn sometimes. And uh, but usually they are very sensible. And uh, but again, uh, equally, it's the family children. who's more worried. Yes. <laughs> when it comes, we have to manage the family more than the patient per se, because. Uh, in general, the elderly would already be a bit careful because they they have the comorbidities, they avoid falls and that kind of thing. They walk carefully, they have a stick or something. Somewhere or other, there is a little bit of uh, caution which is there in their daily lives. But the risk with the elderly is when they get seizures in sleep. So there, I always advise family members that somebody should be in the same room. Don't leave them alone in the room. Actually, leaving a child alone in a room is something which is a Western-style habit, which I disapprove of. As a very, that's a very personal bias which I have, because especially if the child has got seizures, it's uh, it's a bit risky. So it's safer for them to be in a room 
where the, or there is an opening or something where you can hear whatever happens. If you shut the door on them, the seizure alert systems, all that, everything, there is a, because there is a certain risk, I know it, this is not meant to panic anybody, but in an acute seizure, in, a, in sleep, and you can be lying on your face, you can get smothered and there is a risk to life. So we need to be careful, we need to strike a balance as Dr. Bhuvneshwari said, mm -hmm. uh, doing mm -hmm. enough and, and at the same time not doing too much. There are some wearable devices that mm -hmm. the FDA has approved for mm -hmm. monitoring and so on. Um, but this can be useful for both kids as well as elderly if they have a seizure triggers a response to Yeah, care. we didn't talk about one more method of treatment which are the stimulatory devices. There are stimulations which now are getting very, very popular as possible uh, for difficult to treat epilepsy. One is, of course, the vagal nerve stimulation, which has been around for some time. It works in a select group of patients, but it's not an easy thing to do. It's expensive. It needs maintenance. It needs regular follow-up with the doctor. It needs certain adjustments to be made at periodic times. And the, what is now is responsive stimulation. Responsive neurostimulation is what is now really creative. What they do is implant an electrode just over the epileptogenic zone and it will send pulses and respond at the seizure time and cut the seizure. Now the, all this is still you know, being studied. We have, we are, there are a few patients who are actually undergoing this treatment, but we still have to wait a little before it becomes commonplace, More, um, common for everybody. Before we uh, finish up this session, stroke and seizures, uh, can you just throw some light on that please? So uh, there are two types of post-strokes, of uh, early onset seizures mm -hmm. and late onset seizures. Uh, nearly 10% of uh, patients who had a stroke uh, can go on to develop seizures and usually this happens in those who have a cortical stroke. For example, uh, majority of the patients who have a basal ganglia stroke due to hypertensive reasons. Uh, have a bleed or infarct around the basal ganglia, the seizure risk is a little lower. But if there has been a bleed or a small infarct in the temporal lobes or parietal occipital lobes, the cortex is very uh, sensitive uh, and can easily get irritable. So those patients, when they get a scar in those areas, then they can go on to develop seizures. And, and they don't, or not all stroke patients need prophylactic anti-epileptic drugs, but uh, when they have a seizure, then we go on to add on uh, anti-seizure medicines. And again, um, so because they're going to, most stroke patients may have a vascular risk factor, they may go on to have ongoing uh, risk because of the original risk factor. So we closely monitor uh, when they come. That's why the emphasis on follow-up yes. is very heavy. And the other thing is post-head injury. That is post-traumatic seizures, it's called. There also sometimes as soon as the head injury occurs, immediately the person may have a seizure. And that may be the first heralding uh, seizure. Now that does not mean that they are going to become epileptic. Many people are afraid. They think that they turn into epilepsy. There again you have early, mid and late seizures. But the early seizures usually we just temporarily give some anticonvulsant for a short time and there is no need for us to continue for a long time. But in the late onset seizures, those may convert into epilepsy. The early seizures actually are the ones we don't worry about. But patients and family worry a lot about that because they link it to the head injury. 
those will usually settle down. It's because the brain has been shaken up, literally, and it's uh, responding to that. I think it's important. I don't. Doesn't head injury or a stroke doesn't mean you have to go on an antiepileptic for life. Some people think they observation, have to go and only when a patient has had seizure and if there is a high risk of this patient developing more seizures, then they need long-term treatment. So, follow-up of these patients are very important. We do not start medications immediately just after stroke, just because there is a area of damage to the brain. So I think we've talked about a lot of issues surrounding epilepsy and the way of life. Um, I think fine. I mean, one final point from me is epilepsy. Yes, is a neurological disease which causes seizures. However, it's also a way of life. Uh, there is, you know, the, if the patient understands what is happening to her or him. Make sure that they, you take your medications right. Follow certain uh, rules like you know sleeping for six to seven hours, good, getting good amount of sleep, uh, making sure you are compliant with your uh, treatment, going for regular follow-ups, taking the right caution at the right time. I think you can lead a good life, a normal life. And as we doctors treating you, we are always going to be with you or guiding you. So you can you can rely on us as a friend and who is able to guide you in situations where you may need some uh, advice on how to lead your life, yeah, with work and with marriage and so on. So I think it's very important that you must understand it's a way of life. Uh, do not get bogged down by the fact that you're being treated for epilepsy. Um, children with epilepsies, many of them grow out of this condition. So be hopeful. I think hope is uh, important when we are being treated for conditions like epilepsy. Do you have a ending word, Dr. Shivaji? Yes, uh, as you beautifully mentioned, it's uh, a lot of us are here to support you and guide you and uh, win um, this stigma and also give you best control. Uh, being, being compliant is uh, equally very important from uh, your side and also try to um, take all the advice on board with uh, duration and uh, lifestyle changes, uh, sleep depression should be avoided, uh, you have to make sure you eat at the right time and uh, you should avoid uh, triggers that can uh, provoke your seizures and so on. But again, uh, uh, we have uh, Dr. Pritika Shari who is also the founder of Epicenter which uh, uh, is a social organization that helps people with epilepsy and so on. So if you want to. Yeah, I, uh, I'm just going to read a poem which I wrote some time ago, because I think that will uh, encompass what the emotion that a person with epilepsy would feel. Who is there when things go wrong and you need to be strong? That thought may come in your mind. The answer is me. Who is there when your heart fills with fears and your cheek wets with tears? Me. Who is there when life makes you bend and you need a friend? Me. Who is there when illness calls through your pain and falls? Me. Who is there when happiness fills you to lift and bless you? Me. Who is there through your ups and downs, your smiles and frowns? Me. Who is there, you may think, in who is there in my gain and pain, my stress and strain? Who is there for me, you may ask? I just want to tell you, I am there, have no fear. 
on behalf of me and my colleagues and doctors all over the world that we are there we will take you through all your ups your downs your twists your turns your tears everything and we are not just saying this for i have been practicing for 45 years and we have taken many many people through excellent quality of life so just listen to the doctor take your drugs and every one of you can have a full life with everyone like everyone in spite of epilepsy thank you so much both of you uh, i think it was a wonderful session where we discussed uh, about the condition the uh, stigma surrounding the disease how we can tackle them and actually we are ending with hope epilepsy is treatable you can live a normal life with epilepsy of course few limitations are there but come on i think every disease process there are limitations there are limitations so, even without disease exactly so life is let life happens to everybody let's smile and purple day is for spreading awareness about epilepsy and i want more people with epilepsy to be spreading this positive message across thank you thank you thank you